What's shaking, everybody? Uh, before we begin, uh, this episode of the Golf Guide podcast is brought to you by GolfGuide.net, an excellent resource. If you are looking for golf courses anywhere in the Western United States, we've got one of the coolest golf course directories available online to you. You could search for golf courses using grass types, the type of design. If you're looking for links courses, Parkland, Heathland type layouts, we've got filters on there where you can search for golf courses using almost anything you could possibly think of. Difficulty, length, you name it, we've probably got a filter for it golfguide.net and also in addition to having that directory you can also find discounted greens fees on golfguide.net we've got uh, i think certificates to something about three to four dozen golf courses around northern california with a few in oregon nevada and southern california as well so go check it out at golfguide.net click on the golf deals tab at the top navigation menu and when you use the promo code gg podcast you will save an additional 10 percent off any purchase at golfguide.net. One more time, that's promo code GGPODCAST. And uh, last but not least, the new issue of Golf Guide Magazine is out now. That's right, Volume 21, Issue 1 of Golf Guide Magazine is available at a golf course near you if you are in California, Nevada, or Oregon. So check that out. It's a really awesome, great little resource. I mean, it's got information on every golf course in all three states, um, and it's just a very handy little resource. I keep mine in the glove compartment of my car, and then I also, considering I work for Golf Guide, I've got you know a few boxes lying around the house. But that being said, a really good, handy little resource that I uh, implore you to go check out and pick one up the next time you see one at a golf course. Uh, and without further delay, let's get into it and a new little jam for y'all. Yes. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Golf Guide podcast. A little weird, man. A couple years, uh, you know, we're ch changing it up with a new theme song. We're going legit. Uh, I, I do want to thank the powerful Luther Allison for providing us with an absolutely sensational uh, intro song these past three years. But we're going legit. No more uh, bogarting professional artist music. Uh, we had that little guy made up for us to hopefully uh, bring us in here for the next few years. And I think we're going we're gonna to play around with it. We, that may, that one may not stick, but uh, I think we're going to toy around with it a little bit until we find something that we really, really like. But uh, thanks again, Luther Allison, one of the greatest blues musicians of all time uh, and served the beginning of the Golf Guide podcast very well for several years. So anyways, uh, we are back, everybody. We were off last week uh, due to just life really, really getting in the way. Plus on top of that, it was moderately in protest from all these just jabronis trying to tell me that the Players' Championship is the fifth major when it is a golf tournament in Florida. I, I just, I, I, other than the guys getting paid substantially more money for winning or finishing as the runner-up or getting a top ten, I really, I just really don't understand the argument for people saying that it is the fifth major there, there are several events on the calendar that I find to be much more important and much more entertaining, um, including, what, several of the tournaments on the West Coast Swing in, like, February and March, I think, are, are better golf tournaments. Uh, I think the Tour Championship is a, is a better golf tournament. I think some of those uh, tournaments they play in the FedEx Cup playoffs are better golf tournaments. Is TPC Sawgrass a cool course, and is it an entertaining golf tournament? Yes. Is it a fifth major? No, 
So let's put that stupid notion to rest. And you hear anybody telling you that it's a fifth major, walk away. Do not give them your attention. And certainly do not provide them with any of your time. But while we're on the subject, let's just briefly touch on Webb Simpson's win at last weekend's Players' Championship. Um, Just an absolute clinic that Webb Simpson put on. Uh, going into Sunday with a seven-shot lead. I'm sure he didn't take a lot of comfort in people telling him that nobody in the history of the PGA Tour had ever blown a seven-stroke lead going into Sunday, and he certainly, certainly couldn't be the first one. So anyway, if I was a part of his inner circle or one of his friends, I certainly would have said something exactly to that effect uh, to Webb right as he was heading to the first tee on Sunday just, just to see if he's as mentally tough as you think he'd have to be in order to bring home the bacon. But uh, it ended up being, you know, what, what, a four or five shot victory. He did put one in the drink on 18, which was kind of dumb, made a double bogey to make it closer than it really appeared. But Webb Simpson, absolutely dominant, did an absolutely fantastic job. Um, a couple of other side notes. This player's championship was filled with little goodies, um, despite not being the fifth major. Uh, Jason Duffner got just a boatload of shit um for three putting the 18th hole costing himself probably i think it was like a half million dollars you know had, had he had he one putted and made birdie on 18 it would have given him a solo second finish in a, a payday upwards of a million dollars can you can you believe that you make over a million dollars for losing a golf tournament granted i mean being a runner-up in a pga tournament is pretty difficult I mean, the word difficult doesn't really even do it justice, but um, he ended up putting it a couple feet past the hole, missed the comebacker. He stood over those putts for what felt like five minutes, and you just you just knew um, that he was going to miss one. John, Johnny Miller, uh, for all his faults, I mean, just really nailed it. I mean, he saw Jason Duffner standing over that putt and just, like, shaking a little bit. He missed it, and Johnny was just like, I knew it! I knew it! I knew I was going to miss it! And you're like, yeah, yeah, I kind of... I kind of knew he was going to miss it too. So um, he he handled the criticism well, though. You know, he uh, people getting on his ass for uh, for missing those putts, and he came back and said, "Hey, you know, people are focusing a lot on these three feet of miss putt that I had in the 18th hole, but you know, they're not really focusing on the 270 feet of made putts that I had that put me in that position." So he makes a good point there. Uh, still doesn't change the fact that he lost himself a half million dollars on the 18th green. So both parties are right. Both you know people are giving him a hard time. I, I'd like to see you go and do better. Um, but with that all being said, a nice finish, a nice week for Jason Duffner. Uh, Tiger played um, okay for most part. Uh, Saturday put up an absolutely sensational 65, uh, probably the best round of or best single round of golf we've seen Tiger play thus far since returning to the PGA Tour. And I did just see that he committed to Jack's tournament, the Memorial in Ohio, uh, for this season as well. So we get to have a little more Tiger in our life there which is uh really really good and one last note from the players championship um obviously anybody listening to this podcast is a huge golf fan so you no doubt have heard uh about this already but this shit with lucas glover's wife it's just you know (laughs) look i i mean let's put this way domestic violence absolutely nobody is arguing that it's not a big deal it's a horrible thing but, uh, you know, one of my good friends who was texting me about it said, anybody that thinks domestic violence isn't funny hasn't read this article. Now, <laughs> again, I feel like after preface was saying, you know, for the most part it's not, but Lucas Glover's wife picking a fight with him and starting shit with him because he had a crappy round of golf is one of the better things I've read all year. 
on the PGA Tour. And <laughs> this is so great. The, the report says, quote, Glover told the deputy that his wife often starts arguments with him after he plays poorly. So poor Lucas Glover, man. He not only is he costing himself money by not playing well, he has to go home and take a big bag of shit from his wife, which is just really brutal. And so I guess after he missed the 54-hole cut at the Players' Championship, his wife got in his face. You know, they started doing a bunch of stuff. Lucas Glover's mom tried to step in and stop, and Krista Glover just was not having any of it, and she just stepped in and whopped. Uh, what? Just I guess he hit Lucas Glover's mom, and you know the police got called. It's just a whole, a whole ordeal. So hopefully everything will be okay uh, with the with the Glover family. We certainly hope that everybody is safe and healthy, and nobody is hurt too badly. Um, Lucas Glover, obviously a three-time winner on the PGA Tour, the 2009 U.S. Open U.S. Open champion at Bethpage Black. Uh, which serves actually as a nice little transition. I just want to let you guys know we're recording this podcast on Wednesday, May the 16th, uh, which means it is we are officially a year away to the day from the PGA Championship's inaugural May uh, tournament, which is going to be contested at Bethpage Black beginning May 16th, 2019. So right about this time, a year from now, we're going to be gearing up for the PGA Championship, the second major of the year uh so that is uh pretty cool uh but long before that uh just a quick little note uh this weekend they're going to be playing the at&t byron nelson classic at trinity forest just outside of dallas and uh again you're, you're probably following a lot of the same people on social media that i'm you know that i follow you know, reading a lot of the same golf articles that i tend to peruse through each morning when i wake up and i gotta tell you every fan of golf course architecture is just absolutely creaming their pants over this weekend's golf tournament uh, at Trinity Forest. It is a modern Bill Core and Ben Crenshaw design. It is one of the few times we get to see a really cool, modern, minimalist architecture course being played by the pros. Uh, it is The course is supposed to play firm and fast, uh, it, lovers of Lynx golf should really, really enjoy this golf tournament. Uh, it appears that you know not only is there just truckloads of strategy uh, throughout the golf course, but uh, I've been you know I've heard from the architects themselves. Uh, Bill Core had a really cool little video that he did with Andy at the Fried Egg, where he talked about one of the short par fours that the pros are going to be playing this week, and how man you know ball placement and playing the ball on the ground is going to be absolutely huge uh, this weekend. Um, you know, hitting the ball a thousand miles, you know, off the tee, I'm certainly is probably going to be an advantage like it always is, but it's not going to be separating the big hitters from the rest of the field like it would on a different golf tournament. So, um, we should be in for a very entertaining golf tournament this weekend at the Byron Nelson. Uh, if for no other reason than it's just going to be fun to just look at that golf course, all the pictures and videos I've seen, it looks absolutely stunning. It looks beautiful. And so I'm very, uh, very excited to check that out and see how the pros respond and get around the golf course. And, uh, yeah, if they can kind of navigate a linksy type layout. Uh, it's supposed to be beautiful weather out there, humid, triple digits. So it uh, should be much, much better to be watching this thing on TV than it would be to be walking around and sludging around in 100-something degree humidity down in that fine, fine Texas sunshine. Okay. Now, 
Uh, on today's podcast, for the main part, um, I'm going to kind of dive into the National Golf Foundation's recent report um, that they put out on the state of the golfing industry across the U.S. Uh, just going to share some statistics and some stuff like that with you that uh, the NGF published in their annual report. Uh, just kind of, you know, kind of a breakdown on the status of the industry uh, and, and just some some fun, cool little uh, tidbits that I found. Uh, but before we do that, I can't uh, continue without at least acknowledging and mentioning um, this whole gambling thing. Uh, the fact that legalized gambling has now been allowed by the United States Supreme Court. And it's not one of those things where, uh, you know, all of a sudden gambling is legal everywhere. It's one of those states' rights matters where, you know, the Supreme Court found that it is beyond uh, the federal government's responsibility or really, you know, what they should be doing uh, by barring individual states from allowing um, their laws to, you know, be, be able to accommodate gambling on sports. Uh, it's still going to be completely up to the states, so there's going to be several that probably will continue to not allow sports betting, but... Uh, I think there's already a dozen plus states that have started to put legislation together in order to allow uh, betting on sports in those particular states. And it's going to be very interesting to see how this affects uh, golf. Um, there were, I mean, there were a couple of articles online already. I know uh, there was a few on the Golf Channel. And the, the first one that I had read, which I thought was a little interesting, is uh, an article by Randall Mell, who uh, is a contributor on the Golf Channel. And, you know, he, he was arguing that the, one of the biggest changes you're going to see is going to be actually at the tournaments uh, when it comes to spectators. Like the live experience is going to be so much different because now, you know, golf, especially more so than any other sport, the spectators really have an ability to affect what's happening on the court. I mean, I, I just, you know, I, when I was reading this and I was thinking about it, I immediately thought, <laughs> dipshit unhappy Gilmore that Shooter McGavin, Shooter McGavin hires to mess with Happy Gilmore, telling him he sucks, calling him a jackass, all this kind of stuff like that. And now with added stakes and people being able to bet, and especially with the live betting that's going to be going on, people are going to be out there if they have their cell phones, which, again, you used to not be able to really have your cell phone out of the PGA Tour, but ever since they started this stupid live-under-par bullshit where they're really emphasizing people taking as much videos and you know, using social media a whole bunch and basically disengaging themselves from the actual live experience. Uh, I digress. Um, but with all this betting, spectators are really going to have the ability to mess with golfers and have an incentive to mess with golfers more so than they are right now. And I'm, I'm really curious. It's going to be fascinating to see how this actually plays out. I certainly hope uh, that it doesn't have a huge effect. I mean, uh, People have been starting to say that the crowds at golf tournaments are already starting to get a little bit more unruly, that that crowd that you normally see at the Waste Management Open every year is starting to you know, permeate to more golf tournaments around the country. Um, I, you know, Again, as long as there's a level of respect, I don't really see the problem with golf crowds being louder and cheering people on a little bit more. Um, but man, I mean, if you've got a guy sitting there, you know, and, and Justin Thomas has like a six-footer, and this guy, you know, there's like $1,000 in the balance for a fan out there. I mean, you can't guarantee me that he's not going to yell in the middle of Justin Thomas's backswing and fuck things up for everybody. So there certainly is some potential uh, for the crowds to alter their behavior. Uh, but again, it's going to be one of those things where we just have to wait and see how it pans out. 
Uh, you know, somebody who really does enjoy gambling in small amounts uh, on golf, I think it's going to be very cool. You know, I, and, and again, this is something we're going to touch uh, more at length next week when I have my guest on, because uh, this, this is one of those this is one of those topics where it'd be better to kind of go back and forth and get a few different viewpoints on how uh, legalized gambling is going to affect golf specifically. So we'll touch on that a little bit more next week. But I did just want to bring it up. Uh, you know, some of the pros certainly have um, you know, some mixed emotions. Uh, there's another article on GolfChannel.com. I believe this one was penned by Will Gray, where he po- polled uh, some players like Ernie Yells, Jason Duffner, Jimmy Walker, kind of on what they think the effect is going to be uh, of gambling. So I encourage you guys to go read that one as well on GolfChannel.com. And again, we'll, we'll touch more on this uh, next week, but I just wanted to acknowledge that that legislation did pass earlier this week and that it could have a major effect um, on the way we watch golf and the way spectators watch golf when they're there at the tournament. I, for one, am already thinking like, all right, so I'm going to be able to go, you know, on Sunday morning, things are happening. I can just jaunt on down to my local 7-Eleven, uh, place a couple of parlays, and then come back home and watch that. That actually is going to be pretty awesome. So I'm um, looking forward to that. And again, we'll touch on that a little bit more next week. But uh, yeah, let's let's get into finally the, the meat and potatoes of today's podcast. And that is the National Golf Foundation's uh, Golf Industry Report for the year 2017. And, uh, and what this industry report is, is essentially uh, it just compiles many of golf's key metrics in a single comprehensive overview. And this is put together again by the National Golf Foundation, um, which is an organization that most golf courses in the United States belong to as well as golf businesses. We at Golf Guide are a member of that National Golf Foundation. Um, and essentially, you know, we, obviously we pay a fee every year, and in return, these guys just do a ton of great uh, analysis and consumer research and kind of are able to provide us with a sort of kind of overview and information about the golf industry in general that kind of helps us in golf courses learn more about the industry and use that to drive decisions uh, for our businesses. And I mean, the golf business is, it's absolutely massive. I mean, I i didn't really realize it until I was kind of going through this report, which was released last week. But I mean, did you know that 2 million people in the United States work in the golfing industry in one way or another? That's like one in every 75 people work in the golf industry. So, I mean, shoot, even if you only have 150 people in your life, Odds are you're going to have at least one or two that are working in the golf industry. It's pretty, pretty wild. And I mean, and on top of that, you know, from an economic standpoint, golf is an $84 billion industry. That's billion with a B. Uh, It makes significant contributions to the United States economy. And again, it's touching one of every 75 jobs. I, I just find that to be absolutely incredible. So, you know, some of the highlights from this industry overview uh, they kind of touch on things like participation and engagement, right? So that's going to be, you know, on course and what they call off course um, statistics uh, regarding participation. Off course, they're they're talking about things like uh, Top Golf and uh, golfing simulators, which you know, after going through the report, is an absolutely massive uh, portion of the golfing industry now. And I think you know, go- Top Golf. Uh, has been doing a really, really great job of introducing people to the game that otherwise would not be playing golf, and has also done a great job of stimulating a little bit of interest 
amongst non-golfers and kind of getting them more into that idea of, hey, maybe this golfing thing is not so bad. I mean, granted, I think a lot of them really enjoy the fact that there's alcohol and digital, you know, basically a video game quality to it. But nonetheless, it is certainly getting more people interested in swinging a golf club and, you know, being more interested in golf as a whole. So that participation and engagement portion of it uh, is, you know, part of this industry overview. They also go into stuff what they call course supply, where they're kind of tracking the number of golf courses, right, that are opening, that are closing, that are going through renovations or restorations and all that kind of stuff like that. So obviously that's that's the part of the industry that I usually find to be the most interesting. Uh, they also go into a little bit of detail on the retail and equipment sales, you know, giving us data on both the number of individual doors and the estimated square footage of all, you know, off-course dedicated golf retail stores, online, you know, stores and sales and all that kind of good stuff like that. And then they do a final little bit on the kind of the overall reach, which is the game's influence beyond those who play golf on and off a golf course and kind of, you know, identifying people that are interested in golf but may not be playing golf quite yet. So a, a pretty good little thing. And uh, again, as somebody, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you obviously like golf. So I just thought there was some information in here that you would find uh, to be pretty interesting. And uh, I, I think the NGF is going to be coming out with a more expansive overview later this year once they have a little bit of, you know, once they can parse through the data uh, a little bit more. But I just wanted to share some of the highlights with you uh, that I thought were really interesting as it, you know, it could enhance your enjoyment and certainly enhance your appreciation of the golf industry because there's so many people uh, whose life's work is dedicated to golf and uh, and providing the golfers uh, with an exceptional experience and, you know, a really, really great hobby and passion that, uh, that a lot of us do share. So let's get down to some participation numbers. So, you know, we're, we'll play a little game here. Uh, I'm going to... I'm going to see if you guys can guess here, all right? How many people in the United States, we could, let's call them Americans, all right? How many people played golf on a golf course in 2017? Now, this again, this does not include something like off course, like a top golfer simulator. How many people played golf on a golf course in 2017? Jeopardy music. All right. Five, four, three, two, one. Just under 24 million, right? 23.8 million people played golf on a golf course, uh, which I think is a, a pretty incredible number. I mean, uh, what's that? The United States has about 350 million people in it right now, which means... You know, what, 7 8% of people played golf last year? That's pretty damn good. I mean, in terms of a, a recreational pastime, and especially when you consider all of the different things people can do to spend their recreational time and certainly spend their recreational dollars on, that such a large portion are opting to go play golf, I think is really, really cool. And of those 23.8 million, uh, 19.5 million of those people are identified as committed golfers. Now, uh, the NGF uh, basically, you know, identifies a committed golfer as somebody who's playing several rounds of golf a year. But I thought it was interesting that they say that the committed golfer represents 95% of the rounds played and 95% of all revenue within the sport. So really just a hair under 20 million people are responsible for the majority 
of all of the golf uh, being played in the United States. I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, but on top of that 23.8 million, which is the total number of people, uh, the NGF reported that another 15 million people uh, who are not golfers who did not play golf on a golf course last year, uh, I, I'm not sure what mechanism they used to measure this, but uh, people who say they are very interested, you know, in quotes, uh, in playing golf that haven't played golf before. So there seems to be a, a lot of genuine interest in the game, a lot of people starting to pick up the game. I mean, you know, look no further. I mean, my my fiance um, just started playing golf last year in 2017, so she she would certainly be part of this. Um, and, it, and it continues to change. I mean, beginners versus current golf population. I mean, 35% of the people who started playing golf last year are women, which is really fantastic. Because overall, um, throughout the United States, 24% of the rounds played you know, nationally are by women, but 35% of people that picked up the game last year are women. So it looks like, uh, women getting involved in playing golf is becoming more and more popular, which is great for everybody. There's just way, which just way too much dick out on the golf course all the time. It'd be great to have a little, you know, gender diversity out there. So it's very, very awesome that more women are being, uh, interested and are picking up the game. Uh, also, uh, non Caucasian golfers, you know, non white folk, uh, 26% of people who picked up the game last year were not Caucasian as opposed to 18% of, you know, general, you know, 18% of the rounds uh, played nationally are by non-white people. So again, a very, very white dominated type sport. And uh, this is the one that I think is the most encouraging. And that is age under 35. So currently, um, all the rounds played nationally, 37% of those are by people under the age of 35 which certainly includes most of us, uh, you know, listening to this podcast right now. You know, there's a lot of people that are over the age of 35 that aren't quite sure how podcasts work, but how about this? 70%, 7-0 of the rounds that were played by first-timers last year were by people under the age of 35, and that is a, a massive, massive relief and a really encouraging sign for everybody working in the golfing industry because there's kind of been this stigma that golf is not translating to... Um, the younger generation, I, I don't like to use the word millennial. I think it's kind of lame. I think it's somewhat disrespectful. Um, and and I, don't even, I don't even know who a millennial is. Like, I'm 30 years old. Am I a millennial? I, I, I don't know. Or, anyway, that's a different discussion for a different time. But 70% of the rounds, you know, 70% of the people who picked up a golf club and went to a golf course for the first time in 2017 were under the age of 35 um, which again is really, really awesome. It's it's good to know that the younger generations are still interested in playing golf. And certainly, as I indicated before, I think Top Golf uh, and golf simulators certainly have a big role um, to play in that. You know, overall, 2.6 million people played golf for the first time in 2017, and that actually maintains a four-year trend of that increasing year over year. So um, that is pretty cool. In terms of the total amount of rounds played in the United States last year, uh, I'll give you another five seconds. How many total rounds of golf do you think were played in the United States in 2017? All right, time's up. 456 million rounds of golf played in the United States last year. There's just a hair under 15,000 golf courses in the U.S. Um, and, you know, that number actually went down a little bit, but I'll, I'll get into that in a moment. Um, 
You know, a total of 456 million rounds were played in 2017, which is actually a 2.7% decline uh, from 2016, but that's pretty consistent uh, kind of with the average weather-related fluctuation that usually kind of bounces around 2 to 3% every year. Uh, you know, Mother Nature continues to have a, a really predominant influence on the number of rounds being played. And I know early 2017, at least on the West Coast, was, uh, was pretty wet. Uh, we did have a winter, you know, from 2016 to 2017 that provided all of us in California that were in the midst of a multi-year drought with some much, much needed rainfall. So I know that uh, certainly had a lot of, to do with it out in this part of the country. But again, you know, four, over 450 million rounds of golf were played in 2017. That is very, very cool to hear. That is a lot of stories about a lot of people missing a lot of putts. And uh, finally, just kind of for that on-course segments, just as a general, um, you know, in terms of the number of people in the millions uh, that are from different demographic groups, you know, you know, 4.3 million uh, golfers, 18% of them are non-Caucasian, as I indicated before. Um, 3.6 million golfers are over the age of 65, and that number is only going to, con- you know, increase as uh, kind of the balance of the baby boomers across the country continue to hit that age 65 mark. They're ones that have been playing golf for decades, are going to continue to play golf, so that should go up. But as I, as I mentioned before, it's really encouraging that the young adults uh, percentage is going up as well because, it, you know, we're not going to be taking those numbers from that demographic and moving them to age 65. You know, the age 65 is going to continue to go up, and hopefully that young adult portion is going to at least stay the same to kind of, you know, adding as many golfers as, you know, golfers that are graduating into a different age demographic. And who knows, maybe if we're lucky, it'll go up. So overall, in terms of participation and, you know, uh, how many people are playing golf uh, around the country, uh, signs certainly are still very, very encouraging. Okay, now let's get into the national golf course supply, and that is, you know, the number of golf courses uh, available for us to go play, you know, all over the country. And uh, I'm actually just going to read from the report real quick because they they just do such an exceptional job of kind of breaking it down for everybody. So um, the golf course industry continued to undergo a slow and steady cycle of self-balancing in 2017. And this right-sizing of the supply in the U.S. um, is kind of an ongoing byproduct of really an unsustainable period of growth from the mid-'80s to about 2005. Um, And, you know, in the United States, which is the world's best-supplied golf market, there, you know, almost half of the golf courses in the entire world are actually in the United States. I think the number is 45%. So the United States has 45% of all of the world's golf courses and the other 200-plus countries in the world get to share the other 55%. So if you are a golfer in America, you certainly have a lot more options and a lot better options than almost anywhere uh, in the entire world, which is really, really cool. And so at the end of 2017, uh, there ended up being a total of 14,794 golf facilities in the United States. Uh, and that kind of represents about a 1.5% decrease in kind of the overall golf facilities uh, from 2016. And uh, part of that is, again, just a self-correction because there were so many more golf courses built kind of in that heyday. I mean, you, know, you could say Tigeritis, the popularity of Tiger Woods, and the popularity of golf that kind of surrounded that. People were building golf courses at just a really um, unsustainable rate. And now what's happening is after 2008, 2009, you know, and the economy kind of self-correcting, a lot of these golf courses are closing, but it's actually... 
you know, I, I don't ever want to say a golf course closing is good, but in a lot, you know, a lot of times it is because the golf courses that do survive are going to be a lot healthier uh, because the supply and demand is actually eventually going to be leveled back out. So, uh, and part, you know, part of the reason for so many golf courses closing is kind of the demand for land to develop residential uh, and commercial real estate continues to fuel the supply correction uh, for, for golf courses. So, uh, for golfers, the quality of the supply continues to gradually improve um, as some courses close, and a lot of the ones that are still open are making you know improvements, both major and minor. So, again, I said there was just a hair under 15,000 golf courses or facilities, I should say, um, throughout the United States. Uh, but that doesn't, you know, even with so many golf courses closing and uh, 205 and a half 18-hole equivalents, uh, if, if you're not familiar with that term, essentially, you know, two nine-hole courses would equal one 18-hole equivalent, right? So it's not 205 courses that closed last year. It was probably something like 250, right? But, you know, let's say 50 or 60 of those are nine-hole courses and, you know, 100-some of those are uh, 18-hole courses. But so a little over 205 18-hole equivalents closed last year. 15 and a half new courses opened, which is pretty cool. So it's not like it's just courses closing. There are still golf courses that are opening, you know, like Sand Valley in Wisconsin, um, you know, the, was it a whippy match play club? Anyway, the big, there are still golf courses being built, but they're not being built at the rate that they were back in the late 80s, 90s, and early 2000s because, you know, people are aware of how, you know, much planning and how much of an investment this, you know, a golf course is, and they're really doing their due diligence to make sure that if they are going to open one, that it is going to be sustainable, uh, throughout a variety of economic conditions. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool. And also one thing they did want to note is that golf course renovations right now are as popular and as big a part of the industry as they have ever been. Um, rather than building new golf courses, a lot of properties that need to make improvements, they're not building a new golf course. They're simply renovating um, the course that they already have. And since 2006, uh, the NGF approximates that about 11 hundred course renovations have happened um, throughout the country. That's more than one in 15. So a lot of golf courses getting a lot of work done. And dude, those 1,100 projects, it's crazy enough, uh, represents three and a quarter billion dollars invested into those renovations. So a ton of money going into making uh, the golf courses that are still available to us even a little bit better. Um, and also on top of that, you know, regarding the supply of golf courses for us, you know, 75% of the golf facilities across the United States are open to the public, which matches the highest uh, public-to-private ratio in history. Very, very cool. Um, that would mean, and also municipal golf facilities, so those that are owned and managed by a government entity that is available to everybody in the public all the time, uh, that, that number is almost 2,500, and um, the average price nationwide for an 18-hole round of golf at a public accessible golf course, 34 bucks for a round of golf in a cart. You know, it's, you know, say what you will, it, golf is a tough industry to make money in, especially in the operation side of things, because the cost of maintaining a golf course is so unbelievably high. You know, there's always pressure from outside entities that golf courses are not making the highest and best use of a property. So there's certainly always a lot of pressure on golf courses to be shutting down and and, you know, using that land for, quote, unquote, a better purpose or whatnot. But so and, that, and that's a lot of times why the golf, you know, it, it costs a lot to play golf. It's, it's not a cheap thing to provide to people. Um, but if, hey, at 34 bucks, if those golf courses can charge $34 
and still make enough money to pay for all their stuff, pay their employees, and maintain at least a, a serviceable level of profitability, that is excellent news for everybody. Um, yeah, 75%. Um, pretty, pretty cool stuff. So more golf available to more of us, never a bad thing. All right, and the next thing I wanted to touch on from this kind of report was um, golf like equipment sales. I, I thought it was interesting that across the entire country, they only registered 678 um, golf specialty stores. You know, your Roger Dunn golf shops, your Golf Marts, your Golf Galaxies, PGA Superstores, those big retail golf stores that are not actually located at a golf course. Less than 700 of them throughout the whole country. I found that to be pretty fascinating. Uh, it, you would think there'd be a lot more of those considering how many golf courses are out there, but uh, no, just a little under 700. Uh, 21 new stores did open last year, but 61 of them closed, uh, which I found to be pretty um, pretty interesting. Um, you know, the national retailers, those big guys, you know, the Golf Galaxies and the PGA Superstores, uh, they represent about 43% of those 678 stores across the country, while, again, regional and sort of independent smaller golf shops uh, represent about 57% uh, percent of those golf retail guys. And then uh, these are actually the two things regarding equipment that I found to be most interesting. Online buying, okay? Uh, 35% of golfers bought golf merchandise online last year, but the type of equipment they're buying online I found to be pretty interesting. And that's online purchase account for you know a, a growing percentage of total golf merchandise sales, but more than one-third of golfers purchased golf-related merchandise, and it was golf balls and apparel uh, that made up the majority of online purchases. So despite you know all of the manufacturers you know offering their golf clubs um, on online, it's still not a very popular place to go buy your clubs. Um, and it makes sense, you know, golf balls and apparel. Once you know what size you know clothes you're wearing, it's easy to go find something ordered online. And golf balls, obviously, once you find one you like, you can go tap back into it. Uh, I mean, Vice is almost exclusively all online. Uh, got a bunch of friends that are playing Vice balls now. I, you know, I like them every time I hit them, so I think that's pretty cool. And uh, and and then the last little bit regarding equipment that uh, I found to be really interesting. This will be the last little bit that I cover before we put a wrap on this week's podcast, and that is the golf club and ball sales. So um, across all the retail channels, all right, the National Golf Foundation estimated that you know between clubs and balls that represented about 2.6 billion dollars uh in retail um which i guess is up about three percent from the previous year but i just found that number to be oddly low i mean when you think about how many companies are competing for those 2.6 billion dollars your callaways your TaylorMades, your bridgestone um i mean just the list can go on and on titleist i mean for all of those guys to be vying just for a piece of that $2.6 billion pie, and then you think about how much money they're all spending on marketing and paying tour pros to, to play their clubs and stuff like that, I, I just found that, I, I just I guess I thought that number was going to be higher. I mean, certainly $2.6 billion is nothing to scoff at. That is a lot of money. But when you think about how many people are employed by all these major equipment manufacturers, um, and again, all the money they're investing to make people aware of their products and everything else like that. I, I just, I expected that number to be a little bit higher and it, it makes more sense. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not surprised why Nike kind of decided to exit the industry. There certainly is a lot more money for them to be made just by doing apparel. So, um, I thought that was pretty interesting. 
Um, and then, yeah, there was, there was a bunch of other information in the report, but uh, I thought that did pretty well to kind of highlight, uh, you know, the, yeah, the highlights, you know, I'm highlighting the highlights of the report, uh, so you could say. So very, very fascinating stuff. Thank you again to the National Golf Foundation for providing us with all this really, really great information. If you want to learn more and you want to have access to this golf industry report, uh, if you work in the golf industry, you know, you can sign up and become a National Golf Foundation member. They do a really, really good job. They're an excellent resource uh, for all of us. Um, and hopefully, you know, this uh, was able to give you a little bit of an appreciation, a little bit of understanding uh, as it relates to the golf industry as a whole. And uh, it'll be interesting a year from now when the 2018 report comes out and see if uh, a lot of those trends continue in terms of, uh, you know, rounds of golf getting played, people interested in playing golf continues to grow, people playing golf for the first time on a golf course continues to grow, and all that kind of good stuff. So... That is it for now. I will be back next week uh, with a couple guests where we will actually get a little bit more into the implications of legalized gambling uh, as it pertains to professional golf. Uh, we'll probably also have a little, uh, a few comments and observations from the PGA Tour tournament uh, down in Dallas. Uh, that should be very, very interesting. So until then, I hope all of you have a very, just an absolutely outstanding weekend. Uh, hopefully filled with lots of golf, both uh, in terms of viewing and certainly uh, in terms of being out there and getting out and actually playing. And if you are going to go out and play, don't forget to visit golfguide.net and use the promo code GGPODCAST to save an additional 10% on purchases at golfguide.net where you can buy play certificates to play golf all over Northern California, Nevada, and Oregon. All right, until next week, everybody, mahalo. Mahalo.